Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is the beginning of a new church year. It's the beginning of Advent, my personal favorite season of the church year. This is the season that we are anticipating the coming of Christ. His first coming uh, in humility at the stable in Bethlehem. And his second coming in glory, when he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is the beginning, the start of the new church year. And I love the hymns. I love the the decorations. Thank you, everybody who helped out with that yesterday. It's just a beautiful, wonderful time of year. But you know, whenever you are at the beginning of something, it's a good time to evaluate what your expectations are. You know, I've been thinking about lately as we're getting into winter, I've heard several voices who have been saying to us, hey, look, it's going to be a mild winter this year. And I think that if there's any charlatans that tell you it's going to be a mild winter in northern Michigan, you just tell that person, I'm not going to listen to you, all right? Because here's the thing, you start with an expectation of a mild winter, and then when we get our typical, you know, Siberian season, then you're just really upset and frustrated, thinking, oh, why did they tell us that it was going to be a mild year? It got my hopes up. Whereas, if you go into it anticipating a Siberian season, and then it turns out to be, you know, a more normal northern Michigan winter and it's not so bad, then you won't feel like you've been cheated. You won't be frustrated or scandalized by your expectations. Whenever you're at the beginning of something new, it's good to have an idea of what your expectations are. Now, the reason I mention that is because here, as we get to the beginning of the church here, it's a fitting time for us to evaluate or reevaluate what our expectations are of our Lord. And in that respect, I think today's gospel is very helpful. On the one hand, it frames in a big picture kind of way what not only the message of the church here, but even more so the message of the gospel, salvation history, what it is all about. That it's about Christ coming, uh, the return of the king. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the coming kingdom of the son of David. This is what the gospel is all about. The return of the king, our Lord Jesus. But even more to the point, In today's gospel, we have a little detail that hints at what we can expect from our Lord. And I wish for all of us to imagine ourselves like those pilgrims who were following the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem as he made that triumphal entry, as they were shouting their hosannas to the coming king. Some of them, no doubt, with firm and sure steps, and others, perhaps, with their own questions and doubts in their hearts. Wherever you might be this morning, this is a time for us to evaluate and reevaluate what our expectations are of our Lord. What are we getting ourselves into as we follow this King Jesus? There's one little detail that hints at what we can expect from him. Maybe you notice this. So go to our our gospel reading this morning. It's 10 verses, and, and maybe you noticed that Mark seems to give an inordinate amount of attention to the animal that Jesus rode in on. Ten verses, six of those verses by my count, have to do at least in somehow with this colt, this donkey that Jesus is going to ride into. Where is it going to be? What, is, what they, do they need to say in order to procure that donkey? What are they going to put on top of it? How is Jesus going to ride it in? And then this particular thing, the fact that no one has ever sat on this donkey, that no one has ever sat on this colt, Well, who cares about that? What what does that have to do with anything? 
In fact, it has to do with a lot of things. And there's no less than three points of significance of the fact that no one had ever yet sat on this donkey. Three points that I want to bring up to you, point out to you when it comes to this animal that our Lord rides in on. First of all, the fact that no one has ever sat on it, most fundamentally, it has to do with the fulfillment of Scripture. Everything that Jesus does throughout the Gospels, the Gospel writers take pains to point out how Jesus does it in fulfillment of the Old Testament Scripture. The promises and the prophecies that were made hundreds of years before the coming of our Lord Jesus. He comes in fulfillment of that. It's not as though one day this guy shows up and everyone says, hey, this Jesus, he's pretty cool. What should we call him? How about uh, Messiah? Is that a cool word? That's a cool word. Let's call him the Messiah. As though he just showed up fully out of whole cloth. In fact, Jesus comes and all of his ministry happens in fulfillment of Scripture. And this particular detail is no different. That Jesus comes riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. Mark doesn't quote it explicitly, the other gospel writers do, but here in the background we have this promise from Zechariah chapter 9. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other words, on a donkey on which a sat. When Jesus does this, he is fulfilling that scripture. And in fact, the pilgrims, as they accompany him, they recognize it. Jesus walks everywhere. He walks everywhere in his ministry. But here for this short little trek, about a half a mile into Jerusalem, he makes it a point to take an animal, to ride in this donkey into town, sending a message to all those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. This is the promised king, the one who sits on this donkey on which no one had yet sat and rides him into Jerusalem. So that's the first significance to the seemingly insignificant detail. It's in fulfillment of Scripture. But secondly, there's a historical aspect to this. So in, uh, historically, especially in, from a biblical perspective, for an animal on which no one has, has yet sat, that suggests that it is a pure and holy animal. So for instance, going back to Numbers chapter 19, the Lord tells Moses that when he sacrifices a red heifer, that this ought to be a red heifer on which no one has ever sat, that has not been used at all. This is going to be a pure and holy animal. You get resonance of this in other sacrificial texts in the Old Testament. You want that animal to be pure and holy. And one of the things that suggests that is that this animal has never been used before. Similarly, in, I think it's Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant is coming into Jerusalem, even as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem here, and the Lord orders them to use an animal on which no one had yet sat, that that's what they would use to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. And so there's this historical aspect to it, that this is an animal that's going to be pure and holy by virtue of nobody having yet used it. But there's a third point of significance to this seemingly insignificant detail. And it's the one that I think might be most relevant for us today. It's the one that for those who were going to retrieve this animal would have been the most salient, apparent, and obvious fact. If you go and get a donkey on which no one has yet sat, it means that this is not a tame donkey. This is an unbroken, wild animal. And I don't know what your experiences are with trying to ride an untamed, unbroken donkey. I have personally have not tried to do it. I've mostly done it at you know, fairs when you do the little animal and you go around in the circle, right? 
I can't imagine that it would be easy that this is the kind of animal that Jesus specifically says he wants to ride into. You can imagine the disciples, they go to retrieve this animal, like, is he sure he wants an unbroken wild donkey? Is that really what he wants to try and, and ride himself in there? But this tells us a couple of things about our Lord. First of all, that he is the Lord who is able to tame the wild and unruly creation. We see this throughout his ministry as Jesus is able to tell to the wind and storm and tell to the waves, peace, be still. Or after his 40 days when he's out in the wilderness fasting and, and he's tempted by the devil, it says that he's out there with the wild animals. And that along with the angels, they were almost ministering to him in effect. And we have all the, the legends, of course, that Jesus at his birth is the animals gathering together at him as well. It shows us that he is the Lord who is able to master the wild and unruly, untamed creation. But I think that this also suggests something about our Savior himself. Not only is he able to tame that wild creation, he himself is untamed by any human agent. That Christ Jesus is not a tame savior. That he is wild and unruly. That every time somebody tries to put him under their thumb, he sneaks out. He's unpredictable. You don't know what he's going to do next. He's the one who comes flipping over the tables in the temple. He's the one who comes requisitioning your donkey or your boat, as the case may be. He's the Jesus who, who calls out the religious leaders, who says to the, the people that everybody looked to as being the role models of that time, he calls them whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers, hypocrites. This Jesus is somebody who, who speaks a severe mercy, forgiveness to those who had been looked upon as the last and the lost and the least. This Jesus is unpredictable. He is wild and he is not a tame savior. He is anything but safe and certain in his ways. And this, this I think is something that you and I ought to pay attention to when it comes to what are our expectations of our Lord. I'm thinking about this especially in our present cultural moment on this 29th of November in the year of our Lord, 2020. What are we all looking for? What are we all longing for right now? Stability, certainty, safety, maybe safety above everything else. You hear it from every corner. Be safe, keep safe, stay safe. We're even changing like our email signatures, you know. Be safe, Ryan. It's safety is at the top of our mind. Everybody is looking out there, and this is what we want, what we desire. And let me be clear about this. I don't want you to misunderstand and say, Pastor thinks we should be unstable, uncertain, and dangerous. No, that's not the point, friends. Rather, I just want to draw attention to the fact that any of these things, while good in themselves, which we ought to long for, which we ought to pray for, Lord, help us to be stable and certain and safe in you, but that any of these things left to their own devices can become dangerous, see? It can become dangerous when we start expecting God to be the guarantor of all of these things. God, you had better keep me safe. You had better provide for my stability and certainty. And if you don't, well, I just might have to go and find another Lord. <laughs> because let me ask you this. If I could promise you today stability, certainty, safety, and you didn't have to bother with this Jesus character, 
Would you still trust in him? Would you still look to him? Because all of these other things, while good in their own right, they can become idols if they are detached from our Lord and a proper sense of who he is. I'm reminded of of my favorite moment from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia series. And the Pevensey kids, the four Pevensey kids, they're having a meeting with, of course, some beavers, some talking beavers. And they find out for the first time about Aslan. Oh, Aslan. Who is this Aslan? Tell us more about this Aslan. Is he a man? And the beavers say, is he a man? No, of course not. You, You know that he's a king. He's a king. Okay, so what is he? Well, he's a lion. And he's not a tame lion. Well, Pevensey kids, they hear that, and now they're starting to feel a little bit anxious. They say, well, wait a second, Aslan is a lion? Like, anytime you see a lion, you're hoping that he's behind some bars at a zoo. You don't want to just meet some lion out in the wild. He's, he's a lion, so they ask the natural next question. Well, is he quite safe? And the beaver says, is he quite safe? <laughs> of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he's not safe, but he's good. I stand here today to give you fair warning about your king Jesus, that he is not a tame savior, and that if you come to him expecting that he is always going to give you a smooth path, expecting that he is always going to make sure that you are safe and secure and stable and certain, that if you come with those expectations of our Lord, you're going to be disappointed. And I tell you this out of concern for your soul, because the danger is that we can become scandalized when we don't see those things happening and thinking, Lord, if this isn't what you're going to do for me, then I'm going to have to go elsewhere. But friends, Jesus promises nowhere that it's going to be safe that it's going to be easy to follow him. Many times it's just the opposite, in fact. He doesn't say, hey, this is going to be an easy route for you and me, and they're going to persecute me, but they're going to be nice to you. He doesn't say that. No, he is not safe. Of course he's not safe. He's the king of all creation. He is the one who has come to raise the living and the dead. Of course he is not safe. But hear this and know it. He is good. He is good. And you know what? There's one other resonance about this phrase, about this donkey on which no one had yet sat later in the Gospels that I think also sheds light on the goodness of our Savior. We read later in the Gospels that after Jesus is crucified, Joseph of Arimathea, he goes to Pontius Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus and and Pilate grants it to him. And then Joseph takes the body of Jesus, and where does he place him? He places him in a tomb, and the gospel writers tell us it is a tomb in which no one had yet sat, a tomb in which no one had yet been laid. You think, well, that's a strange little detail, but what's, what are the gospel writers hinting to us? That the same Jesus 
who came and was able to tame the wild creation, who was able to say to the waves, be still, who was able to tell that unbroken donkey, be still, we're going into Jerusalem. This Jesus was able to go into the most wild and unruly and unbroken place of all. He goes into the grave. And then he says to death that bears its dread fangs, peace, be still. This is our king who goes into the darkest of places, who goes down into death and defangs that imposter once and for all. So that now you and I are able to face whatever comes our way, even though if we, we feel as though we are unsafe, we are uncertain, we are unstable, we know that we have our savior, our king, who accompanies us and who goes before us, who does not say it's going to be a smooth way before you, but he does say, take heart, you are with me. And where would you rather be in this world right now than with your conquering king, with, with your Lord who knows the way forward, who is going to bring you out, who is not safe, no, but who is, and you can be certain of this, who is good. Look to him. Trust in him. He is not safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing the offertory. Mm -hmm.